Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 86. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Even now, the, the, the hospital is being overrun with COVID patients. They come in, they're horribly ill, they're gasping for breath, and yet they don't believe they have COVID. Yeah, I think the hardest thing to watch is that people are still looking for something else and they want a magic answer and they don't want to believe that COVID is real. And the reason I tweeted what I did is it wasn't one particular patient. It's just a culmination of so many people. And their last dying words are, um, this can't be happening, it's not real. And when they should be spending time FaceTiming their families, they're filled with anger and hatred. And it just made me really sad the other night. And um, I just can't believe that those are going to be their last thoughts and words. Anger and hatred towards you? Um, you know, I think it's just uh, a belief that it's not real. And nursing happens to be on the receiving end of that. And that's okay. We can take that. That's what you're there for. It's just in the bigger picture when you try to reason with people of, can I call your family, your kids, your wife, your friend, your brother, and they say, no, because I'm going to be fine. And you're watching their oxygen levels, um, you know, maxed out on what we call vapotherm at 100% and their oxygen level might be 75. That's not really that compatible with life. And we know where that's going to head. And it just makes you um, sad and mad and frustrated and then you know that you're just going to come back and do it all over again. That's South Dakota emergency room nurse Jody During on CNN with Allison Camerota. And she's angry. Understandably. And I'm angry for her. And you should be too. Because every single day, and right now, as you hear my voice, she's fighting. She's fighting the virus. She's fighting the stupid. She's fighting for the lives of others. And she's fighting the power. The power of a president who failed to protect her. The power of a government that failed to support her. And the power of a governor in South Dakota who even now, as people all across the state continue to die, fails to issue a call to wear masks. Nurse Jody During and countless other heroes like her are begging South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem to issue a mask mandate to help them, to save lives, to fight the virus. Instead of being 100% focused on fighting the virus right now, amazingly, sadly, infuriatingly, instead, she has to fight the power. Run, 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 run. 
2020 and all across this country all year long people have been fighting the power the power of racism the power of division the power of the virus the power of hate and maybe most of all the power of president mayhem and his cronies and his enablers and the dystopian reality he is now inflicted upon all of us from Atlanta to New Orleans to Puerto Rico to South Dakota. Americans are wounded. Americans are dying. But thankfully, Americans are standing up to fight the power. And in the days to come, some of the hardest days we'll ever see, that fight will be more needed than ever before in our lifetime. And coming up in this episode, we're joined by the man who issued the call 31 years ago, the man who was the voice of the anthem. Playback. Fight the power. That was the call. And Chuck D was the voice. Chuck D was the heart. Chuck D was the spirit. Chuck D was the conscience. And he still is. In 1989, Chuck D issued a wake-up call for a generation. And he hasn't stopped since. Chuck is one of the most iconic and important American artists of the last century. He's an activist, organizer, inspiration, and the ultimate angry American. He's testified before Congress, supported vital causes, co-hosted a political radio show with Rachel Maddow, and collaborated with artists ranging from Prince to Anthrax to Sonic Youth to Rage Against the Machine to Gary Clark Jr. to Logic to Sheryl Crow. Chuck is a real and fascinating creative mind. It breaks down the results of the election, breaks down Donald Trump, sizes up Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and offers analysis on why New Yorkers and Trump are uniquely powerful right now. And he has one hell of a first car story and a Prince story. Chuck's got lots of stories. And he's going to share them. I've been honored to know Chuck since 2004, when I first got home from Iraq. And my conversation with Chuck is one like you've never heard before. 
This is the legendary Chuck D. From inside his home, raw, candid, and without commercial or corporate media interruption. Chuck knows how to throw punches. And he knows how to fight. And this conversation will give you advice on fighting the power and living life that will leave you inspired for the tough fights ahead. Because there are many tough fights ahead. And Chuck D is here to break it down. And they, they have a firm belief that wherever you're at in the world, abide by the law of the land where you live and reside. And if I said fight the power, obviously it's like, you know what? Learn the law, to engage in the law, to be within the law, to change the law. That's how you fight the law, to fight the power. Mm. But you, you, you can't, I mean, you might disagree with the law, but you got to learn the law and engage in the law. And, and in order to wrestle and dance and even defeat the law, if it's uh, wrong, if it's unjust, you got to beat the law from, from the inside. It's, I don't, war is an ugly word, and it's tossed around too easily and too simply, like anybody could step in and do it. You don't want that. It's mm-hmm. too much of a, uh, of a resume and too much of a proof that it's not, it doesn't bode well for the planet. Mm. Chuck knows this is a whole new world. He also knows that fighting the power isn't an event. It's a way of life. And it's our new normal. Not just for public enemy, but for all of us fighting the real public enemy now, President Mayhem. The election is over. And Joe Biden won. No matter what that dude from your high school on Facebook or Dan Bongino say, the election is over. And when the count is complete, Joe Biden will likely have racked up around 80 million votes and won the White House by a greater margin than any president this century other than Barack Obama in 2008. But the fight is still on. The fight for the soul of our nation. The fight for the future of our planet. The fight for the integrity of our politics. The fight against institutionalized racism. The fight against enemies foreign, and domestic. And always, the fight to preserve our national security. And that national security is under attack more and more by the day, from the outside and from within. And nowhere more intensely than against the viruses, the dual viruses, the virus that is the stupid, that flies in, around, and from the White House for two more months, and the virus that is COVID, that because of the virus of stupid in the White House, continues to rage nationwide. Because the only thing that continues to spread across America faster than the coronavirus is the stupid. It's the power we all have to fight every day, and especially right now. Millions are out there right now fighting the power of the virus, and winter is coming. But there's good news on the vaccine. Two vaccines look like they will work, and more might follow. Pfizer and Moderna have released data that suggests their vaccines are both more than 90% effective, 
better than most scientists expected, and initial doses could be available by Christmas. So there's hope that the fight against the power of the pandemic will end. But we're not there yet. We got to stay vigilant. We got to grind it out until the spring, maybe the summer, maybe longer. But there is hope that if we get through that, our VC day will come. Our victory over coronavirus day. And every infection we prevent now, through masking and social distancing, is an infection that can eventually be prevented forever through vaccines. So we got to stay disciplined. We got to stay in the fight because it's bad out there and it's getting worse. As expected, the virus is surging. The national seven-day average of daily new infections now stands at over 160,000, 26% higher than just a week ago. Health experts are warning all of us against travel and any large gatherings around the holiday. They're encouraging us to stay home and fight the spread of the virus because it's hitting our country especially hard. The highest global mortality rate, the number one place in the world, is North Dakota. Number two, the Czech Republic. Number three, South Dakota. So North Dakota and South Dakota have two of the highest mortality rates in the world. But this just in from Barbara Starr at CNN. Our military is deploying units, not to Afghanistan, not to Syria, but to North Dakota. 60 Air Force medical personnel are right now on their way to North Dakota to help hospitals there treat COVID patients. They'll go to six civilian hospitals in four cities to help overworked healthcare staff. So the virus is surging. New York City schools are closed again. Schools across the country are shutting down. California is putting a curfew on much of the state after 10 p.m. And much of America is shutting down. Here we go again. As predicted, as expected, as could have been avoided, it's time to bring this back, especially with Chuck joining us. America, just in time for Thanksgiving, unfortunately, it's once again time to shut them down. But some have been infected with the stupid and still don't get it. Americans were desensitized to decades of war in Iraq and Afghanistan, in large part because they never saw the bodies of American troops. They never saw the true carnage of our wars. Now, the media must be vigilant and show the real loss of life happening in our hospitals and being experienced every day by brave, heroic nurses and doctors like Jody you heard from earlier. Because just like in Iraq and Afghanistan, Many in this country will never really care or demand change until they understand the true human cost of our failing war against the virus. The public needs to see the wounded, and especially the dead. People need to understand 
the true cost of fighting this virus. And Thanksgiving is going to be a tough time no matter what, and especially for the people who don't wake up. And listen to leaders who are telling the hard truths, like New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. You know, what is your message to the people who apparently are tired of wearing the mask over their nose as well as their mouth? They think it's uncomfortable and annoying, and it's just too much for them to handle, so they're just not doing it. Thank you. Thank you. You know what's really uncomfortable and annoying? When you die. We got to keep fighting. We got to fight the virus. We got to fight the stupid. We got to fight the apathy. We got to fight the discomfort. Because too many are sick and too many are dying. And that includes critical personnel at the Department of Defense and especially at the VA. We're going to stay on this because nobody else is. The Department of Veterans Affairs reached record high active COVID cases for more than two weeks in a row. It's an 80% increase from the beginning of this month alone. The number of hospitalized patients is also rising, more than doubling since October. VA has now surpassed 90,000 total cases of the virus, adding about 15,000 or so just in November. So the department's total case count now exceeds the total number of cases confirmed in more than 15 states. It's more than Connecticut with 87,000 and Idaho with 71,000. And on November 1st, the VA recorded 4,000 deaths from complications caused by the virus. And since then has added more than 400, putting the department on track to reach 700 deaths by the end of November putting it near the top of the deadliest month of the pandemic for VA patients. Happy Veterans Month. And the total tests administered is still a paltry 900,000. But that's not the full picture. You have to dig deeper because they test many people more than once. So the truth is, the VA has only tested 630,000 individual patients and employees for the virus out of about 8 million patients in the country and 18 million veterans in America. So VA has only tested 630,000 people out of 8 million people that it serves. They're not doing enough testing for COVID, not even close. And the number they're testing monthly is actually going down. In October, the VA averaged only 3,800 COVID tests per day. In September, it was 4,700 per day. So the number is going down. And Black and Hispanic veterans were twice as likely as white veterans to test positive for the virus at the VA. And here we go again. Veterans are dying again in high numbers at state-owned veterans nursing homes. News broke this week that at least two dozen veterans at a state-owned long-term nursing care facility in Kentucky have died of coronavirus. And if you're new to this show, or as a reminder, this follows a wave of deaths concentrated in state veterans' hospitals all across the country. 76 died in Holyoke, Massachusetts, 62 in Edison, New Jersey, 34 in Wisconsin, 7 in LaSalle, Illinois, 56 died in a Missouri home, at least 22 died in Hilo, Hawaii, 52 vets died in Stony Brook, New York, 5 are dead in Bonham, Texas, 23 died in Alexander City, Alabama, 14 died in Scarborough, Maine. And there are many more than these. And nobody really knows how many. 
because there's no effective national mechanism for tracking vets who've died. VA is failing on that. And this Veterans Month, there should be no higher priority than defeating the virus. But even though they're not testing, VA is rolling out a new vaccine trial, which is definitely better news than the hydroxychloroquine testing they did over the summer. This will be the fourth large-scale trial in the United States. So medical centers in Maryland, Louisiana, New York, New Mexico, Texas, Arkansas, North Carolina, Colorado, Illinois, Nevada, Florida, and Georgia are among those selected to participate in the new COVID-19 vaccine trial. So more than ever, the VA is going to be ground zero for the fight against the virus, not just for veterans, but for this entire country. And have no doubt, like every other point in our government, the next two months at VA will be essential. But there's chaos, and there is mayhem. But nowhere is the fight against the power of the mayhem more intense than inside the Pentagon. COVID's a problem there, too. Barbara Starr, again, reporting that the Department of Defense reported record high numbers of COVID-19 cases in one day. 1,314 new cases this week. And right now, about 25,000 cases are in the ranks. And dozens of bases all across America are now back at Charlie, a rating for strict health protection measures. So we're also shutting down our bases. So as we engage in this epic fight against the virus, President Mayhem continues to make it worse. And our enemies are celebrating. And the former commander-in-chief, laid it out on 60 Minutes. Well, I, I, look, I think our adversaries have seen uh, us weakened, uh, not just as a consequence of this election, but over the last several years. Uh, we have these cleavages in the body politic that uh, they're convinced they can exploit. There's the old adage that partisan politics should uh, stop at the water's edge. Right? That uh, when it comes to uh, our foreign policy, that it is the United States of America, uh, not the divided States of America. We should be the United States of America. We should be united inside our Pentagon, but we're not. And Trump is, of course, making it worse. He's the most dangerous, most deadly political suicide bomber we've ever seen. And he continues to blow things up. And our enemies are celebrating. Mark Esper is long gone as Secretary of Defense, and Acting Secretary Miller is in. And what could happen? Well, we learned this week that Trump was considering options to strike Iran. He was thankfully walked back by Pence and others. But if you don't think things can get worse, think about that. Meanwhile, American boats are facing Russian aggressions near Alaska. You probably haven't seen this, but Russia has escalated provocative encounters in the North Pacific this year. They've been harassing boats in U.S. fishing waters and sending bombers toward Alaskan shores. Already this year, the Russian military has driven a new nuclear-powered icebreaker straight to the North Pole, dropped paratroopers into a high Arctic archipelago to perform a mock battle, and have repeatedly flown bombers to the edge of U.S. airspace. Now, this is how wars start, and it's much more likely with an unstable, lame-duck President Mayhem and a newly installed Loyalist Acting Secretary of Defense. This is a different kind of Cold War for the Arctic, and it's a very real concern in the future. 
And while Russia tests us, the acting Secretary of Defense, Chris Miller, who is himself a former Green Beret, announced this week that he's directed the Special Operations Civilian Leadership to report directly to him. This consolidates even more power, and it puts a different quick strike capacity at the fingertips of the acting Secretary of Defense and therefore the president. It's the latest rushed, unprecedented move to consolidate power and avoid could process at and around the Pentagon by Trump and his minions. You should be alarmed by all of it. This is not normal or acceptable. And General Barry McCaffrey and I broke it down in the last episode of Angry Americans. He told you, you should be alarmed because things are happening fast. This week, Trump also announced he's pulling troops out of Iraq and Afghanistan. The White House announced it's pulling out thousands of troops from Iraq and Afghanistan by January 15th. A force of about 2,500 service members are supposed to remain in both countries. And the Trump administration says it wants all troops out of Iraq by spring 2021. Well, guess what? That's not going to be up to you. Remember when politicians, Republicans mostly, and George Bush especially, would claim it was catastrophically dangerous to announce specific deadlines for withdrawal? because our enemies would know and just wait us out? Well, those days are long gone, even if our troops aren't. And the last thing our troops and allies need right now in Afghanistan is a half-cooked, politicized rush for the exits. And it's not about national security. It's about political optics. It's not a strategy change, and it's definitely not the end of the war at all. In compounding the problem, acting SecDef Miller issued a letter to the troops all around the world. And it was filled with contradictions. In the same letter, he said, the war isn't over. We must avoid our past strategic errors failing to see the fight through. And later in the letter, same letter, he wrote, we met the challenge. We gave it our all. Now it's time to come home. So he writes, the war isn't over. And now it's time to come home in the same letter to all of our troops worldwide. Welcome to the Pentagon under new acting secretary of defense, Miller. This is the message to every young man and woman in uniform worldwide. And it's a messy, conflicted disaster. How it starts is how it ends. And this whole charade with acting Secretary Miller is peak President Mayhem. Now, look, there's a legitimate discussion about drawing down in Afghanistan, but you don't do it this way. And the Secretary General of NATO, Jens Stoltenberg issued a statement with a stark warning to Donald Trump on the drawdown plan, in part saying, quote, the price for leaving too soon or in an uncoordinated way could be very high. He said, we went into Afghanistan together, and when the time is right, we should leave together in a coordinated and orderly way. I count on all NATO allies to live up to their commitment for our own security. So our allies who went into Afghanistan with us and were not attacked on 9-11, have stuck with us for 19 years. They've suffered more than 1,140 casualties, and we didn't even give them notice. Trump informed their allies after they've already made the decision. They probably found out on Twitter, just like Esper found out he was fired. Jason Dempsey, the civil military expert and former Army officer who joined us in episode 76, laid out how the military is under political attack from Trump. And he tweeted this week, there's leaving a party, and then there's tossing a grenade over your shoulder as you walk out the door. The timeline and ego-driven approach of this administration to Afghanistan once again makes a bad situation worse. 
And he's right. The price of withdrawing our forces too soon in a discombobulated way without consult with our allies and without coordination could be high, very high. This is what it looks like when a president's political agenda overtakes our national security objectives. And this is just a start. In moments after the acting secretary announced the U.S. troop withdrawals, four rockets were fired at the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. Troop withdrawals could tempt the Shia militias to test our resolve and test our enemies around the world because our enemies are celebrating and will continue to test us. And while Trump's wreaking havoc in Afghanistan and considering strikes in Iran, in other parts of the world, our troops are still dying. In maybe the most underreported story of the week, Seven peacekeepers, including Americans, were killed in a helicopter crash in Egypt's Sinai Peninsula. Five U.S. soldiers died when their Black Hawk helicopter crashed in the Sinai on November 12th. And they've since been identified. Captain Seth Vernon Vandekamp, 31, from Katy, Texas. Chief Warrant Officer Dallas Garza, 34, from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Chief Warrant Officer Marwan Sema Gabor, 27, from Marlborough, Massachusetts. Staff Sergeant Kyle Robert McKee, 35, from Painesville, Ohio. And Sergeant Jeremy Kane Sherman, 23, from Watseka, Illinois. The soldiers were part of the Multinational Force and Observers Deployment, part of a routine effort to supervise the conditions of the Egypt-Israeli Treaty of Peace. Seven were killed in what was believed to have been an accidental crash, including one Czech and one French service member and one additional U.S. service member was injured. But I'll bet you didn't even know we had troops there. And maybe President Mayhem didn't either, because he didn't put out a tweet or a statement about it. And he didn't even bother to meet their caskets at Dover. He sent Pence instead. More U.S. troops, five, died in this Black Hawk helicopter crash in Sinai than in Afghanistan the entire year. President Trump couldn't even attend their dignified return and sent Pence instead. Welcome to 2020 in the Pentagon. Nancy Youssef, the excellent Wall Street Journal national security correspondent, tweeted this week that she overheard the Pentagon bring on the next indignity. That's 2020 inside the Pentagon and inside America. President Mayhem is destroying our State of the Union as much as he can on the way out. While he disrupts our alliances, blows up the Pentagon leadership, and yanks troops hastily out of Afghanistan, he's tweeting about a wreath ceremony inside Arlington on Christmas. Troops are just props to him. If he really cared about Arlington Cemetery, he could have worn a mask there on Veterans Day. He also fired Chris Krebs this week the director of our Homeland Security Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency, the guy who protected our elections. Yeah, Trump fired him too. So the carnage continues, and Trump continues to be a political suicide bomber who won't stop until he's stopped. First, our Pentagon, then our NATO alliance, then our cybersecurity, piece by massive piece. President Mayhem is making us significantly more vulnerable by the day. 
And if this stuff keeps you up at night, good. It should. But you should also know there are good people holding the line. And it looks like right now, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, is a critical one. We are unique among militaries. We do not take an oath to a king or a queen, a tyrant or a dictator. We do not take an oath to an individual. No, we do not take an oath to a country, a tribe, or religion. We take an oath to the Constitution. And every soldier that is represented in this museum, every sailor, airman, marine, coast guardsman, each of us will protect and defend that document regardless of personal price. That's a great message, exactly the right message. But President Mayhem can fire him too. So don't rest easy yet. As General Barry McCaffrey warned you in the last episode, you should be alarmed. And as listener and veteran Trevor Rayleigh tweeted this week, Trump's decapitating the government and everyone's acting like this is reality TV. He's right. And especially now, you must stay vigilant. We all must stay vigilant. Because if you're not angry, you're not paying attention, especially now. But especially now, we have to channel that anger. We have to focus it and we have to use it to fight the power. We have to fight apathy. We have to fight the haters. We have to fight bad leaders. We have to fight the grifters. We have to fight our enemies. We have to fight for our future. And we've got one of the most legendary fighters in American history to take us through it. Chuck D is the powerful driving force behind arguably the most disruptive hip-hop group in history. Born in the intersection of culture and politics, Public Enemy are the hip-hop trailblazers that have interpreted the righteous anger of millions worldwide for decades. In the late 80s and 90s, their first four albums went gold or platinum. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and honored this year with a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And few artists in American history have been more angry than Chuck D. But more than almost anyone else, Chuck's work and life is a demonstration in how to turn that anger into positive impact and history-making art. Chuck is the perfect guide for these times. And he's an important, inspiring, truly iconic American that shaped what our country has been, what it is, and what it will be in the future for a very long time. As America fights power fights like we've never seen before, the legendary founder of Public Enemy joins us to explore and explain fighting the power, 2020 style. This is Chuck D., a voice of conscience, outrage, inspiration, and action for over 35 years, unplugged and uninterrupted, just when our country needs it the most. We're in for a hard winter, but we can fight through it together. To quote Chuck, what we need is awareness we can't get careless. Welcome to a conversation about how to bring the awareness. Welcome to a conversation about how to fight the power. 
Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 86. All of the people know the lay, make everybody see, in order to fight the powers that be. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the globe. This is a guest I have looked forward to having a conversation with before I had this show. When I sat down and created the idea for this show, at the top of the list is the man we're going to talk to in this episode. A man who is a leader, an innovator, a voice of truth, a voice of conscience, a very generous friend, and I think a voice for all times, but especially for this time, we are joined by the great and powerful Chuck D. Paul R., Paul Rykoff. <laughs> and um, you, you prefaced this to being episode 86, and uh, that's when I signed my Def Jam contract in 1986. So it was a different world. Uh, I think the Challenger exploded that year. Wow. The Mets won the World Series, and I signed my first contract, which was about 34 years ago. And here we are in 2020. My first recording uh, contract with Def Jam, I should say. So here we are. And, and wow. it's good being on this side of the seat because we've graced each other on either sides of the seat, me interviewing you, uh, albeit with Liz Winstead and, and, and Rachel Maddow and, uh, um, on Air America. And then here we are. Uh, here I am on the other side of your seat. So why not, man? Uh, it's a it's a great honor. I've told this story before, but I think your show with Liz and and Rachel at Air, I think it was the first like in studio radio interview I ever did in my life. Really? I, yeah, I had just come in, uh, you know, was was uh, like doing my very first media tour in two thousand four. I was just back from Iraq, and right. somebody called me up and said, "Hey, you want to do Chuck D's radio show?" And I was like, "Is this a fucking joke? Is this real?" Yes. And I was like, how many friends can I bring? <laughs> it was like, it was, it was a real honor and a moment and, and, a, and, a, and something I'll always remember, especially because you were gracious, you were kind, you were so engaged, the whole crew was. But, but it really, it kind of, it also inspired me a lot, Chuck. I mean, you've inspired me throughout my career. You've been a great friend. You, you know, you reviewed my book. You've been looking out for me in a lot of ways that I'm very, very grateful for. But, you know, how it started really left an impression on me. And I want people to know that. And I want you to know how grateful I am for, for how it started with us. Oh, man, thank you. I mean, like I say, indirectly, you were Rachel's favorite. And you kept making returns. And uh, I don't know how many times you've been on Rachel's show since she's been such a, a, a TV uh, news superstar. But I always called her the Edward Murrow of what we were doing. I mean... The, the woman would put in 30 hours in a 24-hour day. I'm like, yo, and research to the T on a radio show. So when she was uh, a little bit kind of like, not apprehensive, but kind of like torn between the being thrust right into the super spotlight on television and having to be seen every day, uh, she was a little ambivalent about it. But then we've come into the, the time right now where people in 2020, you know, as a, as a show that's also visual as it is audible, people listen with their ears. I mean, they, they listen with their eyes mm -hmm. a little bit too much. They li they're listening with mm -hmm. their eyes, which means a lot of them are not really lis listening at all because what they see, you know, is what they respond to. Uh, so you could throw something out there that's far from the fact 
And because people will see it, they'll go chase it like a bone. And um, but Rachel got into that uh, that high level media with the same aplomb, the same ethic that she did on radio and many times before in print journalism and also radio. Uh, so that was a uh, that was an added uh, a plus to her attributes and. I added the musical cultural side and Liz added the entertaining co comedic side and that combination on Unfiltered, you know, was really fantastically groundbreaking. And here we are. You have your show. People watch, but also people listen. But sometimes people watch more than listen. Sometimes people listen more than watch. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but the people that's checking you out, they, they, they're doing both with, with equal antennas up. So I'm mm -hmm. glad to be on there. Well, it's it's really an honor, and you've inspired a lot of what I'm doing. When you in, when you guys were in that, it was in Midtown. I remember there were wires hanging out of the wall. You had all these characters coming through. I had Mick Foley, the wrestler, on a couple of weeks ago. He was in the hallways. You know, now you've got Mark Marin and Rachel, and all you had a senator in Al Franken. You know, all these Al people kind of popping out of there doing different things. But talking about Maddow because I think she's so important for these times. You are you're a great eye for talent, right? And you've supported so many people coming up when you saw them in the early days. Did you know, you know, did you see that talent early on? Did you know she was going to be as big as she is now? Um, myself and Liz and people that actually brought Rachel in, they knew it from jump because of her work ethic. Her work ethic was 30 hours a day, like I said before, in a 24-hour day. After we would do the show, that's when, I mean, she would be in the office till like eight or nine at night preparing for the next day. She's like like Jordan in news, you know. Yeah. And I used to always say, "Oh, there goes out Edward Edward Murrow," <laughs> you know. But yeah, we knew that. I mean, without question, without question, it's like when you see somebody and you see that ethic and you see that the skill that she also brought to the broadcasting table. It was like, uh, oh, nothing could stop her. Mm. Nothing has stopped her. Nothing stopped you. I want to get through uh, politics. Want to talk about yeah. music. Want to talk about everything happening in the world. Uh, and I'm really excited that you're with us at this moment. But I want to ask you a question, Chuck, that I've been asking all of our guests. Everybody's facing the pandemic differently, but we're all in it together. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a really unifying time, but it's a hard time and everybody's got a different viewpoint. So, Chuck, yeah. where are you and how are you? I'm on the planet Earth. I'm an Earth ascendant. I'm a culturalist. And I deal with the 24 uh, time zones on the planet with people in every single continent over the seven lands and the seven seas. And um, right now, in this day and time, um, what had just happened in the presidential transition in the United States that we're still going through, we hope that this is a one world. And I'm a full believer that there is one world that we're dealing with. We don't know any world here after we don't know any world before. We don't know if we can, although Elon Musk is sending people now, you know, in, in, in outer space. But, you know, we don't know of any other place that, that we can uh, inhabit that will actually give us the same quality of life that we have here on Earth. So we take care of this place, the one rock, mm -hmm. and, um, and figure this place out before we just destroy it. And so... When things come up like climate concerns and that the United States detached itself from the climate concerns or the, the countries convening in Paris, right there, it tells you that something, somebody's at least drunk at the wheel. Mm. 
And at least so if somebody sleep at the wheel, you can kind of talk them and kind of pull the car over <laughs> to the side of the road. When somebody's drunk at the wheel, depending on their drink and, uh, and how intoxicated they get, it might be hard to rest the wheel away. And that's what we're going through right, right about now. Mm-hmm. So uh, the politic at, at hand is concerned with figuring out how the United States could reattach itself to the planet instead of isolating itself away from the planet, which I think is always problematic when you have um, individual situations drift away from the planet and trying to get away from maybe sometimes the awkward, uh, as we say, the awkwardness of knowing that you have to convene and and get along with a place where you're set up different or your cultures are different, your societies are different, and you got to kind of meet halfway to figure out, listen, we're all dealing with human beings. We're not handling human beings, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, You handle maybe pets. You handle machines maybe (laughs) before they actually end up managing you. But you don't handle human beings. You deal with human beings. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the best way I think government should be. I'm a firm believer that governments and i say governments with an s plural because it's not one government it's just like it's 215 of them in the world governments could you know could fall into being the cancer of civilization if they're not true honest and truly for you know maintaining this planet and its inhabitants um culture likes to bring human beings together culture brings human beings together for our similarities and knocks the differences to the side. That's the beautiful thing of it being a communicable language of, of not just say, but also do. But um, when you get down to governments who like to slice people up, co- compartmentalize, categorize, divvy, you know, rich, poor, whatever, and get that, it can lean into an area where it's just unfair. Mm. And like the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, he says, if that's the law and the doctrine that's printed and made up we just wanted to follow the rules that it has on paper in real life you know that's it and and that's probably been always the angst of public enemy it's like if the documentation once said black people were three-fifths of a human being even less than cattle and considered chattel to be sold as property then we must be the enemy to the public because that's the document that the public goes Mm. by so you want to you want to always do things like this. I'm a firm believer. And even the Nation of Islam teaches this. If you want to say an organization that has helped black people see through some of the muck and mind in the United States, one, one of many organizations, but the organization, I think, politically, spiritually, was along, along the right line to capture my, my interests. And, um, and they, they have a firm belief that wherever you're at in the world, abide by the law of the land where you live and reside. And if I said fight the power, obviously it's like, you know what? Learn the law, to engage in the law, to be within the law, to change the law. That's how you fight the law, to fight the power. Mm. But you, you, you can't, I mean, you might disagree with the law, but you got to learn the law and engage in the law and, and, in order to wrestle and dance and even defeat the law if it's uh, wrong, if it's unjust. You got to beat the law from, them, from the inside. It's, I don't, War is an ugly word, and it's tossed around too easily and too simply like anybody could step in and do it. You don't want that. It's mm-hmm. too much of a, a, of a resume and too much of a proof that it's not, it doesn't bode well for the planet. Mm. 
See, this is why I'm so happy you're here right now. You are a man of the globe. You are a man of tremendous ex- experience. But I'm, a, I'm a man. Of, I'm the man. Man of long-winded answer. <laughs> that's okay too. That's another reason why podcasts are great. I got no yeah. Viagra commercials to throw to. <laughs> we can go as long or as short as we want. But let me let me go back. So so physically, you're you're grid square. You are on the west coast somewhere right now. Is that right? No, no, not really, not really. But I go you're in parts west unknown. We'll say. You're, unknown. you're in an undisclosed location. That's what I've been saying yeah, for the last yeah. couple of months since everything went down. And it sounds like you're, you're doing okay in the pandemic. I mean, you're processing a lot. You're, you're, you're doing hundreds of interviews. But how are you doing? Yeah. Like as, a, as a person, how are you doing, man? Because I think how you're doing will help people understand and process all this madness. 125 interviews in 70 days. Public Enemy releases 15th album. What you going to do when the grid goes down? which uses the platform of recording, not to sell records, but to ask everybody a question, beware of government tricks, especially as we headed into November 3rd. Just be aware. Don't sleepily just vote without knowing what you're doing. Understand your local as, a, as much as, you know, the, the, they, they try to make the presidential election a beauty pageant. What is, what is not, it's really serious business. Mm. So, uh, I've done 125 interviews in 70 days, but that includes that, you know, there's about 75 countries in the mix too that I have to talk to. So I never talk to anybody asking me from a United States state of mind because I know that, yeah, I'm talking to Nebraska, but I also be talking to, you know, um, Auckland, New Zealand. And I got to be able to look at it from a humanist worldview on everything I do. Instead of saying, okay, you know, like, man, there's something that's not going down in, in, in southwest Arkansas that I'm not feeling. <laughs> if you're talking to somebody from Kakistan, they're like, cool, but, you know, we got this thing over here. So I bypass governments with my discussion because I just say you want things uh, to be right and just as much as possible to share this world. So, yeah, I'm, I'm always in different coordinates, sir. And, um, but I do more listening than talking. I really don't enjoy talking all the time. And now we're in the visual age where you have to be seen as much as heard and sometimes seen talking, but that's what it is. So I know that I I pick my points and I understand that, that, uh, you're an owner to what you think, but you're a slave to what you say. Mm -hmm. So I don't know is a great lifeboat Mm -hmm. to get you out of waters that you can't swim in. So, I mean, uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing well. I think uh, musically and technically, I prepared for these waters 20 years ago, engaging myself on the internet. And uh, Public Enemy is the first group in 1999 that released the album into cyberspace. Mm. Also knowing that um, it's twofold. Uh, one reason is that you know, instead of me trying to sound like I was so, so smart, we knew that we had to go through a corporation in order to get to our fan base, who was a lot of the times a corporation wasn't in the country that we had our fan base. So the internet made the most sense. Mm. And it wasn't that, oh, I saw it coming, but the tree was leaning like this because it's not like we're going to make Britney Spears records. We're not going to be pop icons and stuff like that. We're going to actually push a point of view that might be viewed as being outside the norm, uh, you know, radical in many cases just to push that point so we knew that getting directly with our folks had to come another way as opposed to the old way of 
And all you release a record, hope that MTV loves you, hope that BET plays it, hope that you ain't got to remove a logo for a video, and you got to play the politics of distribution, which is, it is what it is, whether you like it or not. And I just said, well, there's another world that's being created now. It's already created. And eventually the real estate of whatever you might believe will be planted and distributed in that world in 10, 15, maybe 20 years. And uh, we planted those seeds in 1999. So with all this that has collapsed in the citizens world, we've seen citizens cross over into netizens mm. without the understanding of the, the rules in the netizen world. Mm. It's, it's crazy because you have people who now will make a mistake in the medicine world, i.e. cyberspace, but pay a citizen's price for it, i.e. probably go to jail. Mm. So your physical pays a price for a world that used to be like kind of frivolous and kind of like half imaginary. Now right. it's a real world. Right. And we've seen the, the, the pandemic for whatever way you want to believe it or, or for better or worse, has crossed people by default into that world, whether they like it or not. Your, your netizen's presence rivals your citizen's existence. Yeah. And, and this, you, you could kind of put things into that world that people will believe with their mind, bodies, and souls in their physical state. So there's all kinds of things. People are not net literate. People don't have net etiquette. There's a lot of things that are just raw that, that also they just pass through with people saying, well, that's truth. But that makes it even more of a, uh, uh, it puts us in a, in a sort of like a hazy situation because what is truth? The thing about reading a book is that it freezes you to the time of when you want to read it and then comprehend it, comprehend it and then apply it or process it. In the cyber world of digital, it can disappear. Mm. Like a three-card money game. First, now you see it, you think you understand it, now you don't. <laughs> like, and the thing that we used to say years ago is really applying now. It's like out of sight, out of mind. Well, when you, you know, tend to kind of like listen with your with your eyes, out of sight means it's kind of out of mind for real. Mm -hmm. So you can manipulate the truth to a lot of people, especially if it comes over. Uh, a wide band of of hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions. Which is what's happening. Which is yeah. Which is what's happening now all over the place. Why I think you and Public Enemy and your audience are kind of built for this moment. I said that in the intro, but I really think it's true. You are you know you are a man of of many cultures, of many people. You're loved and and followed and respected worldwide, but you're not bound to a format or a technology. Your talent and your voice you know, transcends a lot of that and, and, and it prepares you for this. I, I've said before that I think a company like mine is built for this moment. And many mm -hmm. of us who've been uh -huh. in combat are built for a moment like this, but you're built for a moment like this too. Well, well, you know, you got to also admit to the point when you're, you're that, that ugly little, little ice breaking tugboat. That's that's what we are. You know, yeah, it's like yeah. you're not going to get you ain't going to get no. Ah, I've been you know, uh, yeah, yeah. You break yeah. the ice. You keep it moving. And that's you know important. We need that right now. So let me ask you. You talked earlier. You, you know, you said uh, somebody's drunken at the wheel. I think that's great. I've I've called Trump, uh, you know, an, an abusive 
uh, a stepfather. We, I've called him. We don't even call. We don't. We don't even. My, my great brother, brother, be real, who uh, was for four years my 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 rhyming partner in Prophets of Rage. Big up to the Prophets of Rage. We closed yeah. down last year, but uh, he says let's let's not even dignify him by calling by his name. We call him Forty Five. Okay, so Forty Five. <laughs> I love it. And, Respect to anything Be Real wants to put out there in the universe. Especially, right, 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 right. Okay? Exactly. So 45, I've called him, uh, you know, a drunken, step, abusive stepfather. I've called him a political suicide bomber. I call him President Mayhem. He is yeah. drunk at the wheel of our country. But I got to ask you a question I ask of all our guests. Chuck D, what is your drink of choice? My drink of choice better be water from 60 on up. You know, um, I've never had coffee. I've never had, like, hard alcohol. I had a sip of wine when I turned 40. But uh, it better be water. I like um, I like the juices. Uh, I cut the juices with the water the older I get. But um, I think that's probably, it better be that. Um, wow, I mean, tea is probably the thing that gets me. And a, a nice, cold, green tea, chilled, Half water, green tea. That's, that's what I got, good. man. I must. He must have that's known good. it was coming. Yeah, 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 like yeah. That I, is, uh, you know, that's yeah. a, it's a little bit easier on the body when you get older, right? Like the coffee is the hard stuff, and the tea is yeah. a little bit more mellow. And, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I appreciate that because you know, look, man, you've got tremendous longevity, and you've been uh-huh. you've been that tugboat for so long. I want to ask these kinds of questions just so that people can understand. You know, tips from you on on how to do it, like how to do something, well, yeah, well, how to survive. A lot of tips from you when you used to come to the radio station and you used to talk about your workout regimen. It was like, <laughs> it comes Paul Reichoff up to the station, diesel and like square jaw, like, let's do this, let's get it popping, you know? And yeah. then he was very inspirational to me. You know, I had taken him to the stage, you know, workout. I mean, we have a, a saying that, you know, Public Enemy songs are very tough songs. You know, so 30 years ago at, at 30, you know, I'm like kind of like I'm really kind of like going at these songs, but also it can get the best of you. Now at 60, you know, you have to kind of train. You got to you got to do yeah. things that uh, you got to train. You got to be at the, the right weight. You got to be at the right wind. Uh, we have a saying, if you don't if you don't do the songs, the songs will do you. Mm. There's there's no way out when you're up there and you got to finish out, especially the profits took took you know to a, me to a good great physical level. Um, Anthrax was the group that taught me. Rap music is not as throttled hard, even though we was the throttled hardest act at that speed and power. But okay, we 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 well, first, I remember the first time playing with Anthrax in '91. We go on tour together. We play Poughkeepsie, and we're all playing football. And but at the sound check, after we sound checked it all, it's like you know. And I'm like, hmm, we're not guys. Seem like not taking this serious. And Scotty and 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 and, and uh, Charlie and and Frank and whooped our ass the first yeah. night. And it wasn't and people like, well, how are you going to compare the musics? You're doing this, and they're doing that. But they're doing that with intensity, and we're doing this with lesser intensity. So we learned from them how to turn our intensity up on what we did, which was a physical test. 
Mm. And because, you know, when the person comes and remember those old days when people used to come in and, and see you yeah, <laughs> and, and really? be packed up tight in the crowd. I remember that, going to see you. I remember going to see Anthrax. I remember growing up in New York, you know, and hearing about you guys before I even heard you guys. Right. And it's just yeah. to see that collaboration. I remember that collaboration. And for me, it was like different worlds coming together that were so powerful and so important, especially growing up in the tri-state area, right? Because I talked right. to, I talked to, I remember talking to a kid once who told me he saw anthrax through like a hole in the wall when they were practicing once. And he was telling yeah. people, you know, he would pass around tapes, all that kind of stuff long before the internet could do it. But you guys, you know, brought that intensity, but brought that work ethic, brought that yeah. integrity. Um, and you always, you know, represented that part of the country in a way that was unique and tough and spirited. But I want to ask you a question I ask of all our guests going in that way, way back machine. Uh, when you were growing up, I guess on Long Island, right? Or, or wherever, yes. wherever, wherever this point came, what was, right. Chuck D, what was your first car? My first car was a 60. Well, I, it really, my first car was a Chevelle. I never got it off the road. It was a 68 Chevelle. But first car I drove was a 68 Le Mans that I put a 69 grill on myself. So you would look at the front and be like, whoa, this is 69. But the back was a 68. And back then in the days, we, I mean, you had to do it yourself. You had to, if you had a, if you had a, 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 a what you call a transmission leak. Mm-hmm. You know, one time I had a transmission leak, summertime, driving through Hicksville. Me and Keith Shockley, you know, we, we, we worked at Hicksville uh, Sears, changing tires. I left. I'm driving. Got a leak. I'm like, went under the car, took tar off of the road, and patched up the bottom of the tranny. And it worked for like two months, man. I patched it up. And, uh, you know, I mean, so you had to do that physically, which, it, which yeah, I think was the last era, the last generation uh, of do-it-yourself teenagers or 20-year-olds before, you know, you had to get, you know, services to fix your, mm. your vehicle and where everybody now is inclined to pressing a button and getting the service. Back then, you had to do a lot of things yourself because mm. during R&B, you know what R&B is? Reagan and Bush. <laughs> black folks, they had black folks. They had no money, and we were definitely at the top of the list, having no money. So you had to be resourceful. So that's what we were. So what color, that's the Chuck, first what car. Co- what color? What, what color was the Le Mans? Blue. Yeah, what kind navy of blue? blue. Navy blue? blue, bro. Navy blue. Oh, navy blue. No, it was dope. Matter of fact, later on, I bought a, a Chevelle. About eight years later, and I shot pictures with with the Chevelle. I bought it from my uh, where I bought. I thought bought from Floral Park or somewhere, <coughs> and I uh, drove it down to Atlanta. And so that's a that's a Chevelle that people see me with, but that's like the, the same Chevelle I had, but I bought a new, another one. I never got the first Chevelle I bought off the road. That's a and then people and people think I. Uh, I, I never got it on the road. People thought I had a 98. I never really drove the 98. My brother kind of took it and snatched it, and I don't know what he did with it. But um, but I'm known for making the first love song for a car in hip-hop, and it was called uh, You're Gonna Get Yours. My 98. But I never had a 98. But I I did have a 98, but I never really got it working right. It was really an homage to the 98 Posse, who uh, 
a bunch of banditos in Long Island who um, came and protected our gigs, but they were all in 98s. They were like thugs in 98s, and they used to do things like cut off the parkway in case if somebody came out to Nassau County and wanted to start up, they would be like, well, they only got one way out of here, you know, to go back to Queens and Brooklyn. And um, that's how tight the 98 posse were. My, my wife is a daughter of Long Island and, she, and anybody who grew up in Long Island and is going to, is going to love hearing that answer. Uh, and I love, you know, the resourcefulness that you talk about has driven you through all of this. The grittiness has driven you through all of this. The creativity yeah. has driven you through all of this. Uh, here we are, right? This election has happened. Chuck, you know, it's a couple weeks out now. Trump is fighting the results. It looks like he's going to fight the whole way out. Um, what is your breakdown of the election? What, 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 do, what do you take away from it? And what do you see coming forward? Well, I think one, in my own opinion, people kind of saw this coming because you know, 45 already put hints out there that it was going to be crooked. It was not going to go in his way and beware of this out there. When it, he clearly was told that because of this year, what will be accelerated was the mail-in voting. I, I voted mail-in. I did that also the last time. But um, I voted mail-in. And so many people in the United States of America had done that. He saw it coming. I think he probably was caught by surprise that he didn't have more mail-in votes. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, uh, what we've seen over those last, <laughs> come on, it's a, it's a, it's the actions of a kid that, 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 you know, played on the, on the baseball field. He pitched, somebody hit it out the park and he starts crying and says, I'm going to take the, my ball in the mitt home and, and F y'all. It's like, it's like, you don't, you don't expect this type of behavior out of your kids. That's right. I mean, and um, it is one thing sports gives us. It's like, although I think the, the voting process in the United States is a little bit on the primitive side, I don't always think that more is better in anything. I think that, uh, uh, that there's got to be a, 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 quant a quality thing as opposed to quantity. But it is what it is. And that was the rules. And pretty much it, it, he got in because I think that the Democrats were lazy. They were pompous. They dropped the ball in 2016. They offered no upgrade from, from the incumbent you know, uh, president that was leaving, President Obama. They offered really nothing. And I thought that, that when Hillary Clinton came out, out of the out of the whole mess, Bernie Sanders and all that, and the smoke cleared, people were like, screw government if you're playing games like that. And I think Hillary Clinton, although this might not be true, I just think it smelled too much like monarchy. And people don't want a monarchy. Mm. No matter how way you put it, it's like, yo, you was the first lady. Now you don't be the president too. It's like, I understand you're the first woman who's going for it, but that it wasn't enough. And then small things like she wouldn't go in and, 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 and uh, what do they call it? Stump, uh, out in some areas, she was you know, like, I mean, just kind of in a comfortable position. Yeah. Took it for granted. I don't think, you know, life isn't anything you take for granted. Um, saying that somebody running for president is something that I think is probably the most derogative thing, derogatory um, 
thing that you could say towards a, a citizens, citizenship or citizenry because it ain't a game. Mm-hmm. It's a full, not only is it a full-time job, it's an overtime job. Mm-hmm. President Obama is younger than me. You see how much they aged him putting like what, 20 years into eight years? Yeah. I knew that President Obama wasn't going to come in like the Messiah and Jesus to save the world. It allowed me to buy the time to think as a world citizen. Okay, you know, okay, diplomatic situations are okay here. I'm going around the world, spending half my year outside the United States. I don't want to be trekking through precarious world zones based on somebody who might be drunk at the wheel. So when it came down to 2016, I was, you know, dude, like, what's going on here? Because it affected and I'm not saying it's about me personally, but it affected my way of world thinking, world life. Uh, it affected me in a whole bunch of different ways. So I just thought that when you see celebrities think that I'm going to do the job and just raise their hand because they're famous or infamous, it's the worst thing you can have, man. <clears throat> because, I mean, I shouldn't even name the celebrities that said they was going to run for president, but are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. You're not used to working your job. How are you going to work for other people like your Chuck D for president? That's the work. That's the craziest thing anybody could ever tell me, especially at 60. How about, how about, like, I don't want to, I don't, about, there's no way. How about, I don't uh, know. how about, how about Chuck D for mayor? Maybe we need a new mayor, Chuck. We, <laughs> we need hell a new mayor. To the hell to right. the no, Paul. I'm like this, man. I'm in music and culture <laughs> for a reason. I wouldn't mind being a cultural ambassador because that's what go. I believe in, man. Let me, Chuck, let me ask you Quincy, this. Quincy Joe's been trying to become a cultural ambassador. That would be great. For, for like 40 years and they, they don't, they don't get it, hmm. you know? But but I, I'm not to cut you off, Paul. Not it's really. like that you have to take something like that serious because when you go into a, a you you have to be a servant of the people yeah. 24 hours a day, man. And for four years, man, or two years, you yo man, there ain't a thing like oh yeah, I just want to be that because I want to be the most watched, most powerful person in the region. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I I, I totally disagree with any celebrity. Being in, in public office, I totally disagree with um, high office officials being over 65 years old. Chuck, you, you kind of touched on it, and I don't know the answer to this. A lot of folks who listen to this show are independent, unaffiliated. I talked a lot about how important independents are, how a lot of young people especially are rejecting both parties. They want more options. They can order 9,000 things on Amazon, but they only have two parties on the ballot. What's your what's your opinion? Are you are you a Democrat? Oh, and and what do you think about or are you something else? How do you classify yourself? And what are your thoughts on third party options, other options beyond the two that we have right now with the Republicans and the Democrats? Well, I call myself a, a earthison and, a you know, number one, that tells you I'm not a citizen of no one place. Yeah. And I call myself a culturalist. Out of those two definite self-definitions, I'm able to, to to look at, like, for example, what does voting mean to me if I'm living in the United States? Well, I better understand, if I pull my truck out of my driveway and hit a pothole, where do I go to first? Do I go to, to, to Chris Paul State Farm commercials, or do I go to figure out how the town got to fix this pothole in the street? So local always means like, okay, the, who's running the school board? Oh, all this money went to the school board. So 
what's the process here out of, of maybe my nephew or my my kids are grown now but you know who paid for that how was that processed and all that why is this so hidden you know so that always got me early on before you even and it's a climb up it's a climb up to be able to comprehend and and understand after the climb the presidential beauty pageant of the united states but if you don't understand the local you got problems and that's what made this year different paul young people marched on their local in protest of of police brutality especially after the george floyd murder and they, they they pretty much like all right stay inside all right they know they got the governing order from their state and local officials to stay in their homes or they will be you know kind of visited or dealt with or whatever mm. so when that happened they marched directly in their domain they marched in their domain pulling down statues eventually and it shows like when 45 said look i'm gonna give out 10 year sentences if you pull down another statue government executive order no matter how derogatory it might have been that just showed people like whoa but really it showed everybody around the world that young people immediately walk young energy i should say protested in their local environments they didn't go to everybody didn't go to dc you can't probably all get to dc because of many of the the restrictions so they went in their local and they made a statement that, that hey Y'all got to kind of change up, reform. Re they might not came with the actual definitions of what reform would be or is, but they said this is whatever that is. It got change. So Chuck, they came. They came with this anger, righteous anger. We talk about this show is called mm -hmm. Angry Americans because we say, right. you're not angry. You're not paying attention. And in right. many ways, you kind of embody this because you you, you express the anger, but you also turn it into positive impact. Right, you're channeling that into positivity, into forward movement, into I think you know culture and making the world a better place, and and that's the spirit of what we're exploring on this show a lot. But it's also yeah. this foundational spirit of America, whether it was right. George Washington or or Martin Luther King or Harvey Milk, right? A gener generations of Americans who were angry and turned it into something. So the question I've been dying to ask you, maybe more than any other guest we've ever had on this show, Chuck D, what makes you angry? Well, you should feel um, selfless, knowing that if you see something that's unjust done to somebody else, you should be kind of upset about that. So when somebody tosses it back to you, oh, you should be so happy and privileged. But at the same time, somebody right next to me is suffering and you can't recognize that, you don't have no empathy for that, um, that should make you angry that somebody says you should be an individual, be be happy about your privilege and be quiet because this is what's going down. So that, that has always made me upset um, when you saw the stifling of, of voices and spirits um, and then people kind of looking the other way because it wasn't them, mm. you know? And I, I think you, it all comes out in the wash, man. We all living on this world together, man. I mean, maybe those, those four astronauts that went up in, SpaceX ain't, ain't right on the planet right now, but the gravity's still holding them in. So that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Can you, talk, can you talk about that, Chuck? I've done, you know, I've, I've, I think it's been inspiring and I, I get your tracking on it. I've been, you know, showing my boys that all the time. I mean, what's, what's your take on, on the SpaceX, on the rockets, on, on all of this exploration that's happening up there right now while we're 
you know, in, in, in many ways, smacking each other around down here. Science is one thing. Commerce is another thing. And um, I think it's a combination of what they call it, what the old Thomas Dolby record. I, I'm going back and date my 20s. It's like, you, she blinded me with science. Yeah. But instead of the S's, you got the dollar sign, <laughs> sign over there. And I just think that, um, hey, listen, man, if you don't take care of what you got, man, how you going up there clamoring for, what, for, for more? It's like, like you know, uh, uh, we got a buffet society. You know what the buffet society is, is that the buffets out there, people are already chewing, but they're going up to, it's like you, you got food in your mouth, man. It's just chewing and swallowing all your back at the buffet line because you want more and more and more. I don't know if that tapped into a human glitch or not, but I'm saying that taking care of this planet has to be a, a priority. And governments have to convene to, uh, to understand that that's the priority, even if they have differences. Uh, testosterone is a is a is a is an ugly chemical drug. <laughs> so, and 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 what we've seen is much of the world has been corrupted by testosterone. So I, I really feel that a future world, the the numbers and women in administration and governing positions have to kind of even out. Um, you know, I mean, if somebody had to say what white supremacy is in the United States of America, yes, the old white guy who's usually makes the final decision. And that's where we kind of get right back into those old troubles again. Mm. Not to say that, 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 um, that there was, should be no qualifications, but there should be at least some kind of order to be able to learn what the rules are before you get up into that game. Mm-hmm. And we've known that the, the rules have always been some keep away or the opportunities have been kept away. So going and looking for another place into outer space, there's a certain reason why the unknown is the unknown. And I think you could scratch at it, but really when it comes down to it, the universe as we see it from the floor right here is a violent place as much as it looks beautiful. Mm. and it's a violent universe bro mm. as much as we can understand or comprehend all that so that's what science at least if you want to call it a, a true thing when you look into those heavens these places are, are, are apart and, and got its own thing going on that we can't even imagine take care of where you're at man and, and, and span the span that you got this seems like a simple thing Right. So it seems like a simple thing. Glad I asked you that. You know, I mean, we can't get you to run for mayor, but maybe we can get a campaign to have Elon Musk send you up when they start sending civilians up, because that would be uh, that, that I, I would Bro. be I would be OK with you being a cultural we, ambassador to the universe, man. That would be a good role. Man, for we are. We, listen, listen, we all we all will become part of the universe when we go and, and transition out of this existence because everybody going to die. You know, you just won't want people, if you're in this existence, then treat this as best as you can, mm. or treat the this existence of of whatever it, we might think it is as best as you can, because everybody going on to wherever we can't understand anyway, so we don't know what that is. So that's a good way to ambassador people while we're all living to treat this pretty good, right? Because yep. <laughs> we're ushering everybody into the next realm anyway. So, so before, before we usher people into that realm, I got to ask you real quick to... Break down for me Biden and Harris. 
give me like you're you're a great sports fan, right? And and if we get a second to talk about sports, I know you're tracking on the draft. I know you're 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 closely watching all that's happening in sports. But just if you know if if you were to break them down as you know political athletes, right? Um, right. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. What do you see? Joe Biden is that that thirty seven year old center, the shaky knees, but. You know, he reminded me of like a, a, a guy like Avita Sabonis <laughs> back with the Portland Trailblazers who was way past his prime. He's seven foot three. And and when he looked up against a young super jock like Shaquille O'Neal, he says, listen, I'm this guy's size, but I'm not this guy's physical superiority. I can't jump. I can't run anymore. My knees are wobbly, but... Give me the ball backdoor pass. Mm. I'm going to throw passes that a lot of people won't be able to see. Now, I got this person who's a blue chipper named Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't know. They're going to under kind of underplay her abilities to actually penetrate, shoot from the outside, score, but all that. But she's got to grow into this game with my protection. Because if I'm out of the game, she can't get those backdoor passes because everybody's going to throw transmitted passes that are going to get picked up and the opposition is going to be on smash. I I do firmly believe that Kamala Harris will probably be necessary to assume the presidency of the United States. But I think the presidency of the United States needs an energy Mm. that needs to be times two. And I don't, I didn't see that from anybody else. I, of course, I see it from a lot of people who are, might be like 55 and under, you know, there, there's some energies out there. A good friend, Corey Booker is one of those guys, but is it, is it also socially in the United States with its demographic and its polarization too close to Obama? Matter of fact, they're like saying if Kamala Harris was a male, that's too close to Obama. So it's the looking the other way of USAers. And the reason I don't say USAers, I don't call them Americans. You know why? Because all of this is America. North, Central, South, and the Caribbean is all America. So you're talking to somebody from Chile, they're American. They're South Americans. So I don't get lazy with that term. United States of Americans are one country inside the Americas that necessarily could lead with better example and better standards uh, on, on how this hemisphere could be better instead of trying to go by the Teddy Roosevelt 125 years ago, you know, bully him with a big stick. But that's my own opinion. But I, I do think that for the longest period of time, not only have we seen polarization, but we've seen a United States that definitely wasn't united. Mm. It says it hadn't been united for a long time. Instead, you know, it's united when, like, if I, you know, if I committed a crime in one state and I try to get to another state, then they're going to unite. But if we're trying to build and do the right thing, mm. they 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 start filibustering, arguing, and yelling at each other, and nothing gets done. But if you, you know, you commit crime in one. What you have is the fraternal order of police. All of a sudden, even if they have their differences, they connect mm-hmm. and they unite as a union force. So that's respected to a certain degree because you need policing of 
society, but you don't need policing of society and its different favoritisms. Like, yeah, they're policing, but they're policing property owners and property more than the people that's living there or people that's renting. Those human beings mean nothing to them. Matter of fact, they're not even human. They're concerned about the building. That's what people don't like. Mm-hmm. It's like, listen, my father would tell me clearly growing up in Harlem, he said, back then, yeah, police would go upside your head if you tested them. They give you warning. They knew your family. They knew your name. They walked the beat. Yes, it was Harlem. They could walk the beat. But today, you know, my, my dad passed in 2016. He was like, yeah, but this thing that's going on lately, meaning the last 30 years where you talk to me, like, uh, he's like, they don't, they don't, they not, they're not policing the beat. They're walk. They're going around in tanks, right? right. Surveillance. They're just, they're they're on a mission when they come in from the outside, policing an area for renters and people they don't view as family. Hmm. When you don't view someone as family, or right there, it, it turns into an adversarial type of situation. Hmm. You know, if if me and you we we roll together, and I know that your kids or my kids could be family too. And I think nothing about it, man. And all of a sudden it's like, we can't, we all can as human beings. We all can as a human race, but that has been split up, divided, conquered by not only the governments, but also all the religious factions that also form governments or actually come up out of that as well. Despite all that, despite all that, Chuck, you're still bringing people together. You know, you, your new work is bringing people together. Your your, yeah. your your energy brings people together, and yeah. and we are in search of inspiration and positivity. I think, especially in times like this. So, I want to ask you a question. I ask of all of our guests, Chuck D. What makes you happy? Oh, what makes me happy? Art and music. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I I've. Um, their art has been therapy for me right throughout my life. When my dad passed in 2016, I, I once again found the artistic side of me and, and drawing and painting that I had my first 25 years of my life. And then I did 30 years of music, full blast. I still have infused my art into my music. It's the same brain. But then when he passed, I kind of revisited that full steam when all the music is the underlying um thing underneath that so um that makes that makes me uh personally happy i i, I could drift into my own world um and then uh happiness is 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 your family and friends close friends that that happen to do well and right now we're entering a period where well the well-being of of all of us is is in a precarious position, is a precarious zone. So you should also be have empathy for everybody, even some of the worst haters out there. You know, it's all right to you say, "Damn, man, that's where you at." I feel sorry for you. Mm. I hope that gets fixed. I hope somebody could do that. Hope you get love somewhere, man. Uh, see, but but mental illness now in the digital age is a real thing because now it comes comes is channeled through a device that that or a gadget that's attached to your hip and head. Mm. Once attached to the hip, then to the hand, then to the head, then down the stream, like you know, right in the stream of of of, of, of your consciousness into your sub uh, in unconsciousness. So 
my good friend who's no longer here, we've lost a lot of people in culture. Yeah. Prince, who lost four years ago, transitioned off into wherever his energy might be. He said in 1999, right? He says, Chuck, man, we got to be able to manage these gadgets because if you don't manage them, they'll master you. Mm-hmm. And AI ain't going to get dumber, bro. And our level of intelligence and intellect can only come up to a certain point. So we only collectively can kind of like stave off AI from really, you know, spinning a, a you know, it's yarn. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving no apocalyptic battles like AI versus human beings, but individually, you're not going to conquer the the machinery of what's to come. Yeah. You're not, you're not, it's going to touch too many things. I mean, it's designed to do, to do such. So collectively you have to have a society that, that, that kind of knows what it is, comprehends it and just doesn't respond to data because data can be flipped, changed, scrambled. What do they call it in the Waffle House when you're getting um, the- Mattered, the, scattered. Yeah, scattered. scattered. Yeah. <laughs> yep. that's, that's, hey, hey, Paul, that's data right now. Dude, if, if it would be the most genius ad campaign ever if Waffle House just let you read the menu. Just let you read the menu and riff. They would never have to sell another waffle again because it would just be classic. It would be classic. Hey. Hey, I vote. I, I'm part of the to, to the Georgia voting contingent <laughs> to help turn. You know. Yeah, you voted in Georgia. Blue state. Yes, I voted in Georgia. Excellent. I voted in Georgia. I voted in the county, man. That's that's so red, man. That th- there's not anybody else running against them. Huh. So for years, I was like, you know, I've been voting here. One day. One day it could probably turn around. Although I'm not like a Democrat, Democrat, like I, but it just can't be red, 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 or it can't be blue and red. Remind me of Bloods and Crips, man. It's like, mm-hmm. come on. But in this case, in this year, it had to change, man. It had to change. And um, uh, big up to Stacey Abrams for really um, motivating the force in Georgia. And then, listen, my mother and my sister who worked all day, especially my sister worked all day in the voting, uh, uh, for the voting uh, areas. I mean, I'm gone. And my daughter also voted, I think, New York or Georgia, my oldest one, and my middle one for New York. So I had the New Yorkers in the family voting in New York, California, from Cali, and, and in Georgia. You know, I had to, you know, keep hope, hope and faith alive on that one. So... Mm. You, you you get in the system or you get into the law to fight the law to change the law. It don't work another way around, man. Mm. It's hard to fight. Once you start fighting the law from the outside, then it's war. And war ain't a thing that just spurred out like, yeah, we'll go to war. You know, <laughs> I know, Paul, I know you be shaking your head like when cats are like, well, we got to go to war. Then if it's war, what it is what it is, then we'll go to war. It's like, yo, <laughs> don't use I've been to too many places in the world man don't use the word war man mm. I was in I was in Be- uh, Beirut speaking there right and I saw a line eight miles coming out of Syria from Damascus just to get into Beirut mm. 
eight miles, talking to cats, like, yo, man, Chuck, all the people talk, rappers from Syria, like cats talking about war, man, yo, man, my whole everything is reduced to rubble. They don't know what it's like to pick food out of rubble to feed your surviving child. So it's like, yo, man, war ain't like, we gonna go to war, then we gonna go back to the crib and then watch American Idol because, because the streets is tough, son. The streets is hard. No, you could leave the streets and go back and get that grilled cheese sandwich and then, you know, take a piss, take a shit, whatever, man. War is on 26 hours a day, man. Yep. So you got to negotiate taking a shit, piss, or what the yep. hell. Yep. So don't talk war because you don't know nothing about it. Or, or mm -hmm. talking to the people on my trips to Africa, mm -hmm. Liberian refugees walking from Liberia through Cote d'Ivoire to get to Ghana because they can't plant in Cote d'Ivoire. Ivory Coast is French speaking. They speak in English from walking from Monrovia, right? Besieged by civil war walking across a, a country to get to a country to just be able to be refugees there because Ghana was accepted. Don't bring up water there, man. Mm. Yo, man, it's tough in the streets, man, here in, in Camden, man, New, New Jersey. So we going to war, man. It's like, no, you're going to, you're going to local conflict and hopefully you have resolution. You're not going to war, though. That's perspective. That's perspective. We, if I had to go to war... You're a guy I'd go to war with, but now that we're waging peace, I'm honored to be doing it even in your orbit. And your orbit is a powerful and inspiring place. It always has been. It always will be. Uh, I want to just give you a, a small token of my appreciation. I wish we could do this in person. We can't do yeah. that. Hopefully, we'll do it at some point soon. But I have to present you some gifts virtually. So uh, peacetime, the, the Angry American uh, shirt is coming your way. Uh, Thank you. Or maybe one of the ultimate angry Americans. I know you don't drink, but you can give this to a uh, real B or someone else. Be real or someone. Oh yeah, else. yeah. Uh, or, D, or DJ Lord or probably Statue. Yeah, and it's me. Uncle Nearest. I don't know if you're familiar with Uncle Nearest, but they have been a big supporter of this show. Um, named after Nearest Green, uh, the first uh, uh, African American well, master distiller. That's something, huh? Yeah, well, Jeffrey my, Wright, my our friend Jeffrey Wright, introduced us to this and has brought them on board. So I'll send you some of that. That's nice. That's nice. And uh, this, is, Jeffrey Wright. this is going to be fun. The Rorschach que question of our show. Every guest has answered this. There are three colors of peeps, Chuck D. Pink, blue, and yellow. Which color of peeps does Chuck D choose and why? Um, I like blue because of blue skies. I love a blue sky, man. And not, not just because it's in the Knicks uniform. No, the Knicks uniform is is dark uh, navy blue. Yeah, can you coach the Knicks? Can you fix the Knicks while you're fixing the world and, and while you're fixing the world and the universe and music? Can you maybe get in there and fix the Knicks a little bit too? Uh, I'm very close to the Knicks. I defer to my guys at Nick Fan TV <laughs> and also Nick of Time Show and also writers that on the beat in New York like Alan Hahn and people like that. I got my fancy. I'm a, I'm a Firm believer, although I've been a Nick fan, staunch Nick fan and supporter, I sit in my fan seat and just wish and hope for the best, just like the Jets and the Mets. And I just ain't going to change my team and just hope they get for the better. But the Knicks had a, a great draft, and um, 
And I just think that that they're in the right direction because they're bringing some wisdom to coaching. And I like the energy they had with the previous coaches. Like I, I like Fizdale and all that, but I think New York is is a is a melting pot. It's a big city. It's micro square, a microwave square garden. And you got to come. You got to come into New York, man. You can't be like, oh my God, New York, because you will get reduced if you don't handle the intensity. And then back in the day, New York was social media haven before social media. You know, so you got to come in there like with your antennas up, but you have to, you have to train to be ready for New York. Mm. You just can't come in and be part of New York and be ready for the rest of the world. Everybody got a target on you. You got to learn how to live, play, build with New Yorkers. And it's just not, it's not really a place for pretty shit. It's just a, a, about go at it, do it. The fans go at it. They get it done. They, you know, uh, the, the beautiful thing about New York, which makes it different that I know that my, if I consider myself to be rounded with culture before I left the United States in 1987, and got my first passport. I got that from New York because New York is like your cheek and jowl with somebody who totally does not look like you might come from a different background, but you traveling together on the, on the probably just one of the most uniting transit systems and the planet earth. And that's the New York transit system where that regardless of what you think before social distancing, you was like right up here with somebody. <laughs> yep. Hopefully maybe a, fi- a fly girl, but, <laughs> but you're like right there. And you got to get, you got to get past that point of knowing that you have to, you know, deal with people. Mm. You got to deal with people. That's a good you lesson. Know, That's a good oh, lesson. I hate people. You can see people up there. I hate people. Yeah, but you catching the train. Ain't so much of that hatred going to go long or far on that one. So, uh, I mean, I, New York, if you pay attention, New York is the best teacher of the world. Mm. I, I couldn't agree more, man. And, and you are, you know, uh, people have been saying New York tough. I think you are the embodiment of New York tough. And it represents the best of what this country and this world is all about. And New York is, is a fantastic professor. But so are you, man. Professor Chuck D, the great. I, I would I, I would say this one thing, Paul. Please, and this is what with New York tough has to come. New York humility. Yeah, because everybody can tell when a New Yorker walk in a room in the United States of America, and they sometimes feel intimidated. Sometimes they could get overtaken by the New York, and that's I mean, forty five proved that mm-hmm. how he pulled his three card money trick on the rest of the United States was just some old New York hustle game, right? Yep. Right? Yep. So I'm yep. just saying, exactly. the, yep. way, the way that people feel when a New Yorker walks in a room, like kind of like taking aback, like, damn, why you got New York on the shoulder walking like this? And uh, That's how the rest of the world feels about people from the USA. We could tone down that mm-hmm. a bit and fit in to the world and have it what you call cultural exchange, mutual exchange. You learn from me, I learn from you. You know, okay, that's your background. I don't feel it, but you made me feel it a little bit more like you're going to feel me. I don't have any anything against somebody who they consider their hero. Years ago, I said most of my heroes on the pure 
uh, on the stamp because they didn't. Mm. But I'm like saying, well, this is how I feel about my hero. And, you know, that's what your hero is. Cool. You know, I, I have people that, that I have close to me that I swear they 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 swear. I mean, they at the holy grail of Ronald Reagan. But I'm like, cool. That's your thing. Cool. You take my Farrakhan. I take your Reagan. We good. Still my neighbor. We, we, we good. That, that is that is the message for our times. I'm going to end with that. And thank you for all you do. For the city, the state, the country, the America, the world, the universe, you are a, a incredible voice for so many. And I, I'm just grateful for your friendship. I'm grateful for your inspiration. I'm grateful for your work. And I'm, I'm so humbled and grateful that you joined me on this show to share all of it. Thank you, my dear friend, the great and powerful Chuck D. Stay frosty, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. All the best, Paul. Even in times like this, especially in times like this, there's reason to be thankful. So going into this trying Thanksgiving, many people that I'm thankful for, first of all and most of all, our guest Chuck D, the amazing Chuck D. Check out his new album, What You're Gonna Do When the Grid Goes Down. It's amazing. And it has tracks with some of the most talented people in the world. George Clinton, Cypress Hill, DJ Premier, Mike D, Ad-Rock, and Run DMC. Ice-T, Black Thought, Yahi, YG, Questlove, and it has the Fight the Power 2020 remix that you heard in this episode. So go check it out. Follow Chuck on Twitter. Watch for him at a Knicks game when things reopen or maybe one day on a SpaceX flight. Thanks, of course, to the Righteous Media team, Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz. Thanks to our friends at Uncle Nearest. I am thankful for them. If you're going to be home for the holidays, Uncle Nearest makes a great gift. Go to UncleNearest.com. Cigar and Spirit Magazine named Uncle Nearest one of the top five whiskeys in the world. And you've heard about their incredible story, but we're thankful for their support. Show them your love. Go to UncleNearest.com. I'm also thankful to all of you that tuned into Vice TV for the premiere of the new series that I and Righteous Media are very proud to be a part of, While the Rest of Us Die. Episode one premiered on Monday, and it was called Doomsday and the President. If you missed it, it's about how the president got the power to rip up the Constitution and basically blow up the world. So thanks to everybody who checked it out and spread the word. If you missed it, you can go to Vice TV online and check out the first episode. And there is another new episode coming on Monday, November 23rd at 10 p.m. And for the four Mondays after that, all at 10 p.m. And we've got a special announcement. On Monday night, we are going to do an Angry Americans Monday Night Cocktails with me for Angry Americans Patreon members only. I told you, Patreon members, that we're going to do some special events, and we're kicking it off with this one. So you can join me for a special Patreon members-only Angry Americans and Righteous Media Cocktail Hour. It's going to be on Zoom Monday, November 23rd at 8.45 p.m. Eastern. We're going to talk about this episode of Angry Americans with Chuck D., and I'm going to give you a preview of the new episode of While the Rest of Us Die on Vice TV. So it's going to be Monday, 8.45 p.m., right before episode two premieres on Vice at 10 p.m. I'm going to give you a sneak peek, answer some questions. We'll have a virtual drink. And yes, there will be prizes and maybe a special guest. So bring a drink, tune in and join us. But this is for Patreon members only. 
And if you want to check that out, go to patreon.com backslash angry Americans. Become a Patreon member now. You can support this important work and you can join us for exclusive Patreon member activities like this. I'll take you behind the scenes and I'll give you a sneak preview of everything coming up. I hope to see you there. And I want to thank our Patreon members, especially a new one, Zach Garcia, just joined our Patreon crew. Look, it's only five bucks a month and you can join the Vigilant. Check it out. Help us out and join the crew. You can join the Vigilant, the Very Vigilant, or the Most Vigilant. But thanks to Zach Garcia and every one of our Patreon members. Look forward to seeing you on Monday. I'm also thankful to everybody who continues to play guest to guest on social media. And I got to tell you, this week, lots of winners, lots of people correctly guessed Chuck D. I know I've been teasing it for a while, so you guys had a hint. It's basically like, did you do your homework or not? If you did the reading, you knew the guest. But Chuck D. was our guest. Lots of winners. John Bauer, 08, in Nashville, Tennessee. Our friend Kilted CB, Sean Pelfrey, who said, the long-awaited, much-hyped, way-overdue interview with Chuck D. This is going to be epic. Sean, I hope we didn't disappoint. You know who never disappoints? Delfino. Delfino down in Houston, Texas at Aldine Tree Services, Houston Stump Grinding. He guessed it. He said, based on the photo, I'll guess Carlton Douglas Reidenhauer, a.k.a. Chuck D., I have a good friend who remains a Knicks fan and living in Houston during the 94 Olajuwon Ewing Finals was incredible. Could I be on a two-week streak? Yes, Delfino, you are on a two-week streak. Congratulations. Prizes are inbound. Prizes also inbound to BZ477, who's an 82nd Airborne Infantry vet and a high school teacher. Big shout-out to you, BZ. You guessed it correctly. And to Jason, JPO1VA. On Twitter, all you guys correctly guessed the guest. And on Instagram, we also had some winners. Bob Ferguson, my friend who is the music guy at Oxfam, fittingly, won this week and correctly guessed Chuck D. Also, Brian Kipp and Nick Bohun. You all got it. Thanks for checking us out on Twitter and Instagram. And look every Wednesday for a new Guest to Guest. And thanks for all the feedback. I'm thankful to all of you that continue to give us feedback on all different social medias. You can email us. You can call us. Uh, but Lisa Delaney in the Bay Area just listened to episode 85, and she wrote that she felt more reassured and simultaneously scared shitless, but more than anything, amazed and fired up by the wisdom, honesty, logic of a true leader, General Barry McCaffrey. Lots of great feedback on the conversation with Barry McCaffrey. If you haven't heard it already, go back and check it out. It's episode 85 General Barry McCaffrey, incredible voice, and that episode has really, really got people talking. And thanks also to Xavier, the zombie doc, who is from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, who gave me feedback and said that he supports the idea that I pushed about combining Veterans Day and Election Day, which allows everybody to have a day off and go out and vote. It also should allow everyone to celebrate veterans as well. Not a bad idea, in my opinion. Thank you, Xavier, zombie doc. Appreciate it. All of you guys out there, a lot of great feedback on that idea. This is just a start. I'm planting the seed, but with your support, I think we can push and fight and work to combine Veterans Day and Election Day and make them both much more impactful. It's a big idea, but together I think we can get it done. Speaking of getting it done, shout out to my friend Trevor Rayleigh, who had a great tweet. He said, if you want to hear mine and many more's anger translator, subscribe and rate Angry Americans with Paul Rykoff and Righteous Media. And then he said he's going to go back to tweeting about the Saints. But Trevor called me his anger translator. I consider that a tremendous compliment. Thank you for your support, Trevor. He says he lives on Canto Bight. Now, if you don't know, Canto Bight was a coastal city on the desert planet Cantonica, which I believe 
is from Star Wars. I do read your Twitter profiles. I am more likely to mention you if you are an actual person, and I know you're not a sock puppet or a bot. And there are a lot of those out there hitting me, especially after doing some of the crazy media I did over the last couple of months. But I am thankful to all of you, and I want to hear from you. Post on our social. Give us feedback on the episode. Tell us who you'd like to hear coming up and call. If you can tweet, you can call. It's 833-33-ANGRY, 833-33-ANGRY. Give us a call, shoot us a tweet, and you know what'll happen. I'll make you famous. But this Thanksgiving, I am thankful to all of you. I am especially and always thankful to my family and my amazing wife and my two boys and everybody in our family. Our little guy came down with a fever this week, but thankfully he is okay and feeling better. My big guy and I went through what is now an annual tradition after we finish Halloween and before Thanksgiving, we find a place to smash our pumpkins. So we dropped our pumpkins off of a bridge into a river, which was amazing because we got to watch them smash and we got to watch them roll down the river. But it was exciting. It was fun. And it caused no one any harm. But schools are closing. It's getting colder. And I just want to thank my family in advance for rallying and getting through it. My son and I watched Real Steel this week. If you've never watched Real Steel, it's one of my favorites. Hugh Jackman, robots, it's awesome. But we also had a conversation about the vaccine. And my son, who's five years old, asked me, Dad, is the vaccine like a robot? And I explained to him, yeah, it's kind of like a robot, like a superhero robot that goes into the body and fights the virus. But like everybody else out there, my son is rooting for the vaccine and rooting for everybody who's on the front lines. And we thank all of you, the scientists, the doctors, the nurses, the first responders, everybody who's in the line of fire for all of us. We are especially thankful for you this Thanksgiving. But keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. Go to angryamericans.us. Sign up for our newsletter. Join our Patreon crew. You can get some cool merch. And you can check out our YouTube page. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. You can get merch in time for the holidays. And in this hard winter ahead, we will continue to adapt, improvise, and overcome. So stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share. I'm thankful for you. If you want to show your thanks, get a couple friends to sign up and share this Thanksgiving. Get everybody that you share your Thanksgiving with to subscribe for free and share. And we'll keep this movement growing week by week by week. Look, there's plenty of reason to be thankful, but there's also plenty of reason to be angry. And there's a way to turn it, a way to channel it, a way to harness it, a way to make an impact. And now, as holiday season approaches especially, there's a way to turn that anger and frustration into positive impact. Now, more than ever, there's a way to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Every show, I'm going to offer a way to convert your righteous anger into positive action. A positive action that shows, just like Chuck D did through his whole career, that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. And it's an action that channels your energy, makes you feel good, makes a difference, and is always packed with the four eyes that pack this show. Integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. And on the Thanksgiving table of our country this year, the four eyes are going to be especially important in times like these. It's times like these you learn to live again. It's times like these you give and give again.
There was a headline this week that caught my eye. It said, after big Thanksgiving dinners, plan small Christmas funerals, health experts warn. That was the headline in the Mississippi Free Press. The state's top health official has urged Mississippians who are having a small holiday gathering to get six feet of distance and hold their gatherings outdoors where the chance of transmission is lower. So my way for you to be a helper this episode and all season, don't do a big Thanksgiving. Be smart. Don't travel unless you have to. And use common sense, social distance. Try not to pack everybody into grandma's dining room. Dr. Mark Horn was quoted in the Mississippi Free Press article. He's a leader in Mississippi. And he said, we don't want to see Meemaw on Thanksgiving and bury her by Christmas. He's right. And he continued, it's going to happen. You're going to say hi at Thanksgiving. It's so nice to see you. And you're either going to be visiting her by FaceTime in the ICU or planning a small funeral by Christmas. So take a lesson from the Mississippi Free Press. Big Thanksgiving dinners are going to mean small Christmas funerals. So be smart. That's the best way to be a helper this month and all holiday season. Just hang in there. Fight the boredom, the monotony, the inconvenience, and help others. Of course, continue to wear a mask, but don't spread the pandemic on Thanksgiving. Think of the 240,000 Americans who won't be at any Thanksgiving table this year or ever again. You can help make sure there aren't more empty seats at tables for Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus, and everything else. If we're disciplined at Thanksgiving and we stay frosty and stay vigilant, we can make for a much better spring and a much better Thanksgiving next year. And I always tell you to look for the helpers. So be a helper by doing that. And I also want to encourage you to check out something else that's happening. Social media ain't all bad. And I saw a nice example on Facebook this week from my friend, Greg Papadatos. And then I saw my brother did it. And then I saw a bunch of other people did it. There's something else that's going viral this Thanksgiving. And it's hope and support. Greg posted on Facebook, we are now a solid eight months into this craziness. If you're not working or not getting a paycheck, or struggling to make ends meet, and you've run out of food or necessities, please don't let yourself or your kids go to sleep on an empty stomach. Don't be afraid or embarrassed to send me a private message. I have limited resources, but I'm more than happy to help you or your family out. I'll drop by or go order for delivery. Nobody has to know, and I'll pretend it never happened. What's understood never has to be explained. So I just want to encourage everybody to do the same thing. Follow Greg's lead. Follow my brother's lead. My wife sent somebody some diapers. Everybody can do something. If we're all disciplined and we all work together, we can make this Thanksgiving something that we can truly be thankful for. It's going to be hard. But years from now, we'll be thankful that we did it. In times like these, it's okay to be angry, especially now. And no, you're not alone. We're all a little angry. That's because we're paying attention and we're all in this together. In times like these, we all need to fight the power. And the only way to do it is together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Happy Thanksgiving, wherever you are. And be smart out there. Be kind. Stay frosty. And stay vigilant, America. America.